From the Orange County Fire Authority, this is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Welcome to uh, the sixth podcast here. It's November 2nd. Uh, this is Kenny Dossie, Deputy Chief of Emergency Operations. Um, today's guest is Division Chief Rob Capo Bianco. Rob, thanks for coming in. Thank you. Um, I'll start with the Why podcast again. Uh, this is all about getting the message out, uh, almost a simulation as a station visitation. Remember, with 77 stations and three shifts, it's, it's hard to get the information out, and this is just another means of doing that. Uh, for today's podcast on the agenda, we're going to talk uh, about the Fullerton proposal with Chief Capobianco. We'll talk about an apparatus update, uh, something else that he's in charge of. And then we'll hit questions from the field. It's a little bit of a new topic, but I've been getting a bunch of questions, so we'll, we'll hammer out a few of those. And then we'll end uh, with staffing and promotions, um, which is really the hot topic in every station that I go to. So with all that being said, uh, we'll go ahead and jump right in this with uh, Chief Capobianco. Um, let me start with the, the basic question for you, and, and why don't you just give us a little bit of background uh, about yourself uh, here in the fire department, kind of like the, the Fire Tech 101 question. Sure. Um, thanks, Chief Dossie. I'm Rob Capobianco. I'm Division Three. Uh, started here with Orange County back in 88 as the old uh, paid call firefighter program. Uh, while going through that, I put myself, I uh, had a four-year degree, put myself through Santa Ana College, and then put myself through medic school and was hired full-time. Spent most of my firefighter career down south, firefighter medic. Um, probably my, my most fun times was down at Station 24, down in Division Three, And then um, promoted to, or I spent two years in training, promoted to captain, uh, captain paramedic, and um, spent on and off five years in our fire investigations as a captain as well. Took a break in between, um, spent some time on a Type 3, and then uh, back into investigations. Promoted from there into a battalion chief, and uh, once again got pulled back into investigations as the chief investigator after some field time. Promoted out of, uh, out of investigations to division chief, and I've been in division 3 for the last three years. Good. Uh, that's a great overview, and you forgot uh, who one of your academy instructors were, but uh, we'll go ahead and jump Thank past you. that. Um, it's been a successful career considering <laughs> I didn't start off well with Dossie as my academy cadre, but we'll work through that. All right, let me uh, jump right into the first question. Uh, we're going to be talking about Fullerton, and uh, we're really pleased with so far everything that you've done as far as work for the Fullerton project. It, it's been a, a, an outstanding uh, product that you've produced. But um, a question for me is, uh, can you just give us kind of an overview of how the Fullerton proposal was completed? Sure. Um, I think the biggest thing is that um, that proposal and every proposal, we've done a lot of these over the years and, and we've built on each one um, as, as each city comes to us and asks for a proposal. It's really the work of a team. A whole team gets put together, does a deep dive, uh, spends a lot of time looking at the, the impact on the OCFA from each one of these individual cities. Um, What's important is to get the perspective of every section in OCFA to really look at, at the impacts and then develop what the mitigation would be, whether it's a cost of the contract, whether it's a request for increased staff. Um, it, it really came from a large group of people coming together. Um, really, I was just the face of, of all the work that, that these, this group of people was putting together. So 
I want to say thanks to to um, everybody I've been working with. It was a, a a big success. We were able to put together a a, a good proposal. Uh, proposal did go in front of our board last Thursday, and uh, we were able to um, get votes to move that forward. And now uh, we'll move it over to Fullerton for their uh, evaluation. Okay, good. Thanks for that. And, then, and I'll just jump forward here and just ask you what. So from there, what is the next steps? Sure. So the, the, the basic way that the proposals work, um, you know, the city came to us and asked for the proposal back on March 25th is when we were given direction to put together the proposal. It returned back to our board for approval. Now that we have approval from our board to present the proposal to Fullerton, the ball's really in their court. And uh, we'll support their efforts as they go through and do their due diligence to see um, what the benefits are to the city. I think the proposal does have some strong benefits for Fullerton. Ultimately, um, what we've done in the past is we've been asked to make a presentation to their city council. Uh, if they choose to do that again, we'll be available to do it as the uh, executive team will, will uh, attend that council meeting. And then ultimately, the city does their due diligence. They, um, I get a lot of questions. Does the proposal expire? It doesn't expire. Um, they have time to do their work. Really, what um, what would happen is if it goes from one fiscal year to the next, we might have to adjust the numbers. But outside of that, they have the time that they need to uh, put into and make their decision. If it does make it to uh, their board and gets approved, then what it does is it allows us to get together and build a contract. Um, that contract would go back to their city council, back to our board for final approval, and then we would enter a transition period. That transition period, if uh, Fullerton chose to come across to us, um, with some lessons learned in the past, would be a minimum of 120 days. We'll move forward from there. Um, but there's some big steps still in the way before we start talking about transition. So that's kind of the, what, what we're looking forward to now. Okay, good. That's a, a great explanation. And um, what are specifically some of the details as far as the operational part of this? Um, you know, the coverages that we're going to increase over there or that we're going to provide over there and, and maybe them coming across in some sort of training fashion. Is there anything you can give us on that uh, aspect? Sure. You know, op operationally, there was some, um, the first thing we did was with operationally, we look at the way they're currently doing business. And there was a couple of things that um, didn't fit into what my direction was, is that we're going to meet our standard of coverage that was board approved back in 2006. So applying our standards of coverage to Fullerton today, um, the two things that popped out, one, they have a, a station up in the northwest corner uh, where their truck is, and it's a BLS station. Uh, we don't have BLS stations. We have a couple of PAUs still left, um, but every station in OCFA has ALS capabilities. So the first thing we do was, was um, convert that truck into a paramedic truck. Uh, the other piece we have uh, when we're looking at it, their truck, they have a single truck, and it's a large city with six stations. Um, they have a plan and process with their Station 3, which is the southeast corner of the city up against the 57. And they were converting that to a truck. There's some developer monies and a station retrofit that was taking place. So we would piggyback onto their plan, um, make that into a paramedic truck as well. So all six stations will stay open. All six will be paramedic units. All six will be staffed 4-0. There'll be four engines, two trucks, and I think that will increase the, the coverage of the city and, and it'll also have an impact on the surrounding cities, of, um, especially Buena Park and La Palma, and then even over with Yorba Linda, bring some more depth to that. 
The other thing that, um, that we're going to work through um, as we move forward is their training tower. They have a training tower back behind Station 1 for live fire and being able to access that and, and take some of the pressure off of our training facility here. We'll, we'll figure out exactly how that would work, but it's something that we hope to uh, work into our proposal and into our plan as well. Okay, um, and anything as far as transitioning those employees over, and, and we might not have this yet, and it might be more up trainings alley, but uh, I know when Santa Ana came over, they had three days of training. When Grove came over, they had two weeks of training. Has there been any discussion on if they were to transition, how we would transition their employees? Yeah, so we, we haven't um, quite gotten into the specifics of that yet, Chief. That, that transition as we move forward, we'll start planning that out. Um, but bottom line, when, when Santa Ana came across, there was, it was done very quickly and some lessons were learned. When Garden Grove came across, um, things worked much better. And to use that as kind of our starting point, um, whether it's training, HR, all the different needs, the way that the engines were, were outfitted and brought in. Um, I think a lot of, um, there were a lot of successes with Garden Grove, still some things that we can continue to improve on and we will. But uh, that transition, which was only a couple years ago, will be our starting point on, on how we'll move forward on this one. Okay, good. Uh, really a good, quick overview. I appreciate you uh, coming in and talking to us about that. Um, if individuals want more information, they can watch our board meeting. Uh, it went a little bit longer and more detail, or I'm sure contact you direct. Um, I appreciate everything you've done. I've sat through this uh, presentation a few times, and it's really good. I can tell you, you put a lot of uh, hard work into it. But while I have you in here, I know that you're the chair of the apparatus committee. And I know we've got a lot of pieces of equipment on order. I know two engines have arrived just recently up here to headquarters. Can you just kind of give an overview of kind of where the committee is um, as far as new equipment goes and, and, uh, and that process? Sure, um, a little bit about the apparatus committee. Um, it's myself and then Kevin Berghaus from Fleet. And we kind of manage this and, and um, follow the CIP and the spending the, uh, and the purchasing. The, the, big, the big workers, Dan Brown, Brad Burns, and uh, Mark Backoff, they're the action officers that are doing this work. And they have, they have done a ton of good work the last three years, and we're starting to see a lot of that equipment starting to roll in. The big one that, that uh, you're referring to, Chief, that you're starting to see is the Type 1 engines. Uh, our latest purchase was 13 Type 1s. We've received, I believe, three of them now. And they're going to slowly be, be coming in. They come from Pennsylvania over KME. They're going to slowly be coming in over the next, um, probably one or two a week, over the next few months. Um, those 13 are going to start, they're already starting to outfit them. You know, COM has a ton of work. Service Center um, will we'll do their piece. Uh, and then um, Fleet kind of goes through and makes sure all the warranty work is done before they come out. So those will start coming out into the field. Um, another another big piece that uh, is on its way is our foam tender that was ordered probably two years ago and with COVID there's been a ton of delays that we're working through uh, but the foam tender is is left the east coast and it's on its way out we should see that soon uh, a couple of the other big ones the uh, the truck companies we have three TDAs I'm sorry not TDAs we have three uh, mid mount and three rear mount um, trucks so a total of six we're going through the bid process with, with all six of those. Uh, usually the, the, the time to build is about 400 days now with, with COVID and delays. So uh, we're still a little ways out with that, but it's moving forward. Um, some other stuff that's on our list 
the air utility we have a new air utility being purchased and, and built uh, hazmat 20 hazmat 79 uh, the pre-construction was done last july so that's going to start moving forward hazmat 220 um, has, has already been the chassis has been been uh, delivered but once again delays from covid so they are building that um, the, the latest one that was just approved by our apparatus committee was the battalion command vehicles so this budget has three new command vehicles and the new technology that we're going to see in the back um, it'll be very similar to what some of the other cities you're seeing with LA City and um, Anaheim and, and Fullerton so a, um, a, a truck style with a cab a uh, shell in the back and uh, the technology to go go in the back of it as well so we'll, we'll have three of those that are uh, it's just going through executive management approval and then that should go out to purchasing shortly Safety officer vehicles, we're, uh, we're going through that, um, the focus team on that. The heavy rescue has already been, um, the, the mid, mid inspection was last February, so the heavy, heavy rescue has been um, moving forward. In our budget this year, we have two more type threes. So we're looking at the process of, of piggybacking onto our last purchase of three of the type threes, and, and we can fill that out to make a total of five. Um, so that'll be in this this uh, year's fiscal budget, um, and then some of the other ones. There's a crash three that uh, the airport is going to be buying. We kind of work as a, um, it's really their purchase, but but we work just as a um, advisor and and giving some input from our perspective and uh, fuel tenders, tire trucks, tech truck support vehicles. So there's a lot more on the on the horizon, but that's kind of the gist of of all the work that's being done. And I think we're going to start seeing a lot of vehicles start start coming through with our as we work through our COVID delays. That's great. It sounds like uh, progress is being made finally. Um, our next segment here is questions from the field. Uh, it's kind of a new segment, but um, I continually uh, get questions sent to me. Uh, I think some of these are definitely pertinent and some of them have to do with um, new apparatus. So if you don't mind just sticking around and, and maybe I'll toss a couple of these at you and see see where you stand and I don't think we have answers to them but just to confirm that and the first one is all this equipment that you just talked about specifically the engines they aren't set yet on where they're going right we're still figuring out where we're gonna put those yeah so we work closely with fleet and there's kind of a process that we've used over the last handful of years uh, we look at the mileage and we rank all of our engines based on mileage and, and try to um, move the older, higher, more higher mileage vehicles out of frontline and into relief status. The only other thing that comes in there is we evaluate when some of our engines, it may not be the highest mileage, but if there's some that are having some mechanical issues and, and the cost to keep those on the road and the time and effort to keep those on the road, um, it might bump them up higher. So it doesn't just go off mileage, but uh, we kind of we bring those together and, and Fleet and Kevin Berghouse over there make some good recommendations as we try to figure out um, which which engines to move out of front line and move into the relief status. That's good. That kind of overlaps, or you answered uh, one of these other questions in here, and, and I'll, I'll just read it off. And the question is, uh, I understand we're returning to an engine rotation policy, meaning moving higher mild, un mild units uh, to slower companies. Is that true? And can you explain how this is uh, going to be implemented? And yeah, we are actually looking into that right now. 
and uh, trying to figure out a way to make our uh, engines last potentially longer and rotate them from the high miles to the slower stations. It's under review right now, and I'm sure that policy um, will be kind of combined with the answer that you just said on where some of these newer engines are going to go. So they kind of go hand in hand. Um, uh, reading a couple more questions here from the questions from the field. Uh, can you tell me why we are so short on relief engines right now? So this is a great question. I uh, went and looked at the uh, DSR and noticed that a lot of the 900 engines showed that they were unavailable. Um, so, you know, I went and uh, did a little bit of research and, and found out that a lot of them weren't uh, unavailable. They were actually either being used in the back with by training. They were just in for PM. Um, they were in service or they were actually out of service. So um, whoever put this question in, good question. Um, we need to make sure that that DSR is updated daily and we need to make sure that everybody's paying attention and using it because it is important that when you're out there on the stations and you need a relief engine, you have a one, one area that you can look at and find out, hey, is there an engine available? Where's the closest one? And how fast can I get it in service? So we'll be uh, updating that uh, as I speak. Um, so a good question from the field. Okay, another question from the field is when units get repaired by fleet, uh, why can't we receive an email informing us of what repairs have been completed? Uh, kind of like when you take your car to a uh, dealer, uh, you end up getting an email afterwards. And that was the way we did uh, business for a while. The problem with that was uh, the person that maybe filled out the VRR is not on duty when the unit comes back to the station, so the engineer that's there does not have the update. So the fix for that was you can actually go back into where you filed the VRR with Asset Works, and you can look up the history and get the specific um, item and what they did to that engine. So really everybody has access, uh, not just the individual that filled out the VRR. All right, uh, and jumping into uh, staffing and promotions. And, and this is something that we've talked about numerous times, uh, whether this was here on the podcast or emails or ask the chief. But I think it's pertinent to uh, update uh, this information as of today. And really, when we go out and visit the stations, I know that this is a, a very hot topic. Um, so I think the best way to start this off is where are we with openings um, and when I say openings, that's a vacant position. Nobody's in it. There's, it's, it's not someone moved from one place to another. It's completely vacant. We can hire a body behind them. And uh, this month, when we have this academy uh, graduate, there are 26 medics um, that is bifurcated, and we have the engineer promotions take effect, where will we be? And, and, th and this is kind of where we're at. For firefighter, BLS firefighter, we'll have three openings. And then we'll have an additional eight firefighter BLS that are on workers' comp. For firefighter paramedic, we'll have eight openings. And then there's 19 that are on workers' comp. For engineer, we'll have six openings. 31 are on workers' comp. And then for captain, we'll have 17 openings. And then we have 42 on workers' comp. So when you look at our pure openings, um, those numbers are definitely decreasing. Uh, the fact that they're single digit at three of the three of the levels, I, I think, is a good thing. We're making progress. Oh, and I forgot, battalion chief. Uh, there's five um, openings, and there's five on workers' comp. Uh, 
So we're making a little bit of progress there. Uh, I think I'm going to need to rewind this just a little bit and give a whole overview. And I know some of you have probably followed some of this, but it's important to, to start from the beginning. Is uh, after 2020 and we got into 2021 and, and staffing uh, forces and, and staffing seemed to start becoming a, a bigger deal and becoming an issue here in the fire authority, uh, we formed the staffing ad hoc committee. And the intent, intent behind that was to gather information. Anyone that wanted to be on the staffing ad hoc committee, we uh, admitted in. We had two meetings. They were both exactly the same. And we listened. We took notes. Um, some of it was emotional, um, but a lot of it was history and how could we fix issues with staffing. And really, at the end of the day, I divided it into two categories. There was long-term solutions and there were short-term solutions. We gathered all this information together. Chief Johnson chaired the committee. He put out a, uh, an informational pamphlet to everyone, and you should have got that. And it basically listed all the different items um, that we came up with with the ad hoc committee. So that was kind of the background and the history of that. All right, and then continuing from there, um, there's been some other information that we've done taking from some of those notes um, as far as where we are. So Chief Johnson has just recently sent out his second update. And if you looked at it closely, um, it's a large packet. And we've taken the categories and we've, we've broken them into management rights, no meet and confer necessary. And so when you start looking down that list, those are things that we can do immediately. And I think some of them are definitely short-term, some of them could be long-term, but let me read off some of the things that we've done um, short-term with just that we were able to implement. And, and I mentioned it earlier, the bifurcation of the academy to get the lateral medics out sooner. Uh, that's something that came out of there. Uh, we, we started taking a closer look at uh, SA and SAR approvals. Uh, we've most recently uh, decided to move the ad admin captains out over the holidays where we traditionally have a little bit of trouble staffing. So they'll be out in the field. Um, we're going to move part of the cadre out uh, since we bifurcated the academy and a ma large majority of uh, the recruits went out to the field. We don't need as many instructors, so uh, a large percentage of them went back out to the field. Um, we've also just recently decided to, Saddleback called us and said they have got more room in this current paramedic class starting in January. And even though we've already tested for that with this updated information, uh, we said, hey, we're going we're gonna to announce one more time to see if anybody else wants to go to paramedic school. There's a lot of individuals that are now qualified that weren't qualified earlier, so um, that's been opened up. We've also opened up four different uh, paramedic schools to choose from. So if you live down in San Diego, you can go to one down there. If you live up in L.A., we have one up there. If you live in Orange County, we have one here. So those are some of the, some of the current things that we, we've been able to grab and that were under management rights, no meet and confer. Uh, as you move forward in the document, there's some issues that are not supported by management. And, uh, you know, just an example of some of those is um, increase the number of VP days. Uh, if you come in from home in the middle of a shift, give that person a VP bonus. Uh, some of the stuff like that, and you can look at the list, it's, it's got five or six different items on there. Management doesn't support those. Then there's stuff on there, MOU negotiations required. Uh, it was suggested that we pay more than time and a half on an overtime. That's something that we'll have to go to the board, board on and negotiate. And then the last category on there was requires labor management to meet and confer. 
that's for both of us to sit down and review some stuff. So, you know, you look at, you look at it, the very first two on there, one's uh, don't do total hours work, the next one's do total hours work. So these are things that we're, uh, management's willing to sit down with the local and discuss and try to figure out uh, what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. We've since had a meeting, a, a joint labor management meeting with uh, 3631 and uh, talked about the different issues that we've had. Uh, they listened intently and uh, afterwards um, we had some dialogue about uh, what went on and we're planning on having some more of those in the future. So we've done some small things and now I want to talk about some of the bigger things that we've done, the long-term effects. And this is probably what people are are interested in because there's a lot of moving parts. So we currently have a uh, recruitment out for firefighter paramedic and the plan is to run a 50 person firefighter paramedic academy in place of where the BLS Academy was going to be in the first part of 2022. So originally it was called Academy 50, well it's still going to be called Academy 54. It was going to have 50 uh, individuals in it that were BLS. It was going to be a 16 week academy. We've decided to make it a eight-week academy with firefighter paramedics that have their firefighter one certificate. So that recruitment is out. It's in the process right now. The thought is to run them through. And let me go over some of the requirements because everybody's curious about this. So they needed to be a California state paramedic, have a California state paramedic license or a national license. They need to have the Firefighter 1 certificate or completion of a college academy or one year full-time firefighting. Uh, the written exam will not be the FCTC, Firefighter, normal exam we have. The written will be a paramedic exam. And the thought process behind that is that would just slow us down a little bit. And these individuals already work for other fire departments and have gone through that. What's important is their paramedic skills. As far as the CPAT and Biddle, um, if they've already taken it, we would accept that. That would help speed up the process also so we can get these individuals into the academy sooner. And they have to have had that in the last six months. Um, no changes to uh, the, or the things that haven't changed our testing process is they'll still have an oral interview panel. There will still be a chief's interview. They'll still be going through backgrounds, medicals, and they'll do the physical assessment uh portion of the test we've been doing for the last few academies and I've already talked about the paramedic written test and they'll do a paramedic skills assessment. The other update to that is the SOP currently reads that when we hire firefighter paramedics um, as laterals or they come through the academy when they get off probation they can actually uh, transfer to a BLS position and that really wasn't helping us. We'd hire individuals, we'd bring them in at you know step seven and a year later, or less than a year later, they'd be working in a BLS position. So we're changing that SOP to where they have to work in that paramedic post position for two years. So that's Academy 54. Academy 55, which would follow that one directly, will be another 50 firefighter paramedics uh, do an eight-week academy. So in that 16 weeks, we originally planned for a full 16-week academy. We should, in theory, get two eight-week firefighter one paramedic experience individuals and that would be a hundred firefighter paramedics into the field we think this will really help uh, with our promotions and filling a lot of our open positions 
Um, I think the only area we need to be a little bit careful on is the fire captain's test. We're definitely going to need to have some individuals uh, step up and take the test, people that meet those requirements and that are ready to do that process. Uh, we already have uh, an engineer's list in process right now, and the captains will probably be announced sometime later today or probably this week. So that's my overview of everything that we've got going on for staffing and for promotions. And I know there's a lot here, and I know there's been a lot of changes. I just hope that I can, uh, I hope that I've been able to give you an update on kind of where we are and where we're going. Okay, that wraps it up for this uh, November 2nd uh, podcast. I appreciate you guys listening. Chief Capo Bianco, thank you for coming out um, and give us an, an overview on uh, everything that you've been working on. I know the Fullerton thing has been successful so far. We're hoping for success, so um, thank you for showing up. Appreciate the opportunity, and uh, we'll we'll keep working hard on on Fullerton. See what we can move forward. Thanks, and and that's the message just to everybody out there is you know keep doing what you're doing. We know you're doing a great job. Take care of each other. Watch out for each other, um, and uh, we'll see you on the next podcast.